Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Kathy and I met Doug and Denise again when our kids were little. And now we're like serious empty nesters. Uh, and, and see, ours are, our kids are 28 and 25. That's probably pretty close to what yours are. Um, and I just, re- I remember those little kids. And I remember, I, I remember them a lot. And sometimes we get the idea, we'd like to go back. We'd like to go back to when they were little. They still, they're in our heads. And we look at their pictures and they're still real people, these little children in front of us. And then they call us up on the phone and, and uh, you know, they, they're all in, in careers and starting families and all this kind of stuff. And and it's a little overwhelming. You know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Um, and we're in this developmental process of, like, letting go. I was, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said, you know, it's kind of like this. You raise these kids to launch them, to launch them into life, and now they've launched, and you're still standing on the, on the launch pad waiting for the smoke to clear and that's what, it, that's what it feels like sometimes. But, you know, they're in their own process. They're growing. And so are we. And we can't interrupt their process. And part of our process is learning, again, to, to release them. And, man, it's really challenging. It's hard to do. Well, today I'm just uh, glad to be here. And we're going to be talking about this process that God is bringing through. I know bringing us through, us all through, uh, Doug talked about this a little bit last week about becoming mature in Christ. We're going to continue in, uh, in that as we uh, share our scripture today. And uh, we'll be reading from Hebrews and the sixth chapter, reading verses 13 through 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I got some questions today, um, as I read this passage, because, again, Hebrews is a, is a very complex book, as you well know. I remember just listening to Doug's sermon last week. It was like, there's a lot of stuff here, and there is a lot of stuff here. And so my first question is, why? Why, Doug, did you pick Hebrews to go through <laughs> this summer? Um, and it is the most complex book, and I think, in the New Testament. It's the hardest Greek it's the most complicated Greek to, to try to translate. And I remember in, in like uh, Greek exegesis class in seminary, uh, which is where you learn how to translate and interpret and all this kind of stuff, um, the final was usually on some passage from Hebrews. 
Um, and so what you'd do is you'd memorize as much as Hebrews as you, as you could in the New American Standard Version because it's very, you know, the translation is very close and just hope for the best. Um, <laughs> so, so I asked that question, why? And, you know, the, 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 the arguments that the, that the author makes seem kind of, they kind of go like this. Um, and it's a, it's a long, long case that he makes that Jesus is the greatest, is greater than anything else. But it's, it's again, it's kind of like that. And for a guy like me who has the attention span of a gnat, uh, this is really tough. So thank you, brother, for the challenge. I really appreciate that. Um, I really do. So my next question is, what is this hope that he's talking about? Um, and is it any different from wishful thinking? And that's... I, Honestly, I kind of struggle with this concept of hope. There's a lot of places where it comes up, and I, I think hope, and it just seems like, well, someday, you know, uh, somewhere over the rainbow, you know, um, and uh, it just seems kind of ethereal, kind of like wishful thinking. But I don't think this is what the author is talking about here, about some kind of wishful thinking. It's something much more, much more substantial, something more specific than just wishful thinking. I, I was walking through, I work in a retirement community, I'm the chaplain there, um, and uh, I remember last week I was, <laughs> I, I was just walking around after our Bible study and I, I overheard a conversation, which is always great material, you know, when you, <laughs> someone says to this guy, says, you know what, I, I, uh, I don't know, I, I don't, you know, this thing about heaven, I'm not sure, you know, in fact, I really doubt it, but I really hope it's true. Well, that's really interesting. So, you know, first of all, what is it? That seemed to me more like wishful thinking. Um, just the other day, we got a call from our daughter. We're going on vacation next week, and her husband's not able to go, and he has to stay, stay home and work. And so she says, I was just wondering if I could ride with you. And my wife is like, yay, you know. And uh, my son's coming too, so the four of us in a car together. It just sounded so wonderful. And uh, so, and Kathy's like, gosh, I, I, I hope this can happen. And I'm thinking that, that too is kind of like wishful thinking. Uh, it's great. I really hope, I, I hope. You see, that's my thing. I, t I speak, I use the word hope in exchange with wishful thinking. Like, gee, wouldn't that, wouldn't it be nice? It's a Beach Boys song, right? Yeah. So uh, wouldn't that be nice? This is something more substantial. So, uh, but I question it. You know, how do you, how do you actually encapsulate what the meaning of hope is. And then the final question I have is, who the heck is Melchizedek? All right, and that was the last uh, word, a, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Who is this guy? It sounds like the neighbor's mastiff, you know, something they'd name, you know, a dog. I mean, you never name a child that. That would be, you'd have to call social services if somebody named their child Melchizedek. I don't, I've never seen it anywhere. You know, it's the neighbor's mastiff. Oh, he, he doesn't bite. He's really a sweetheart. He won't eat you, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. Well, it turns out that he is a rather mysterious character. I was talking to a guy, the guy who's preaching for me back at, uh, back at the community this week about Melchizedek. I was like, man, I've got to talk about Melchizedek. And I'm just really intimidated by it. He said, oh, Melchizedek, Melchizedek is so much fun. He's such a mystery man. And I thought, yeah, that's great. Um, but, but he truly is. He's a very mysterious character that pops up um, in the story of Abraham. And the point here is here is he is a, he was a high priest that kind of predated the, the Judaism. He predated the time of the temple. 
Um, and he was both the, a priest of the Most High God. He's also the king of Salem. And you see this, or, which is Jerusalem, and you see in him uh, kind of a, 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 a precursor to, to Jesus, who is both priest and king. Another one of the cases that is made, um, made in the book. So Melchizedek's an important character, and good old Doug, thank you for, Doug is going to explain this entirely to you in the next couple of weeks. Um, it does point out to the, that Jesus is our high priest, though. In fact, uh, in, the verse, in verse 20, um, it says here that, let's see if I've got it here. Yes, here we go. In verse, in verse 20, um, he has become a high priest forever, comma, in the order of Melchizedek. You could stop the sentence right there. He has become a high priest forever. Just let's put a period there before we get to the guy with a funny name. Jesus is our high priest. He's a high priest forever. And you know, really, what does that mean? He is our high priest. All right. The timing of Hebrews is also pretty interesting. And uh, I think you probably have gone over this before, but I'm going to rehearse it. Maybe this is for my, for my sake. Uh, this was an unusual time. Uh, it was probably in the later part of the first century when this is written. What we don't know about Hebrews is whether it was written before or after the destruction of the temple. Not really sure. But it sure speaks to the issues involved in this. Just imagine this for a while. Now, a couple months, about a month and a half ago, um, we sold my mother's house. My mother passed away last year. Um, and then we finally sold her house on the lake, and which was really tough, um, you know, to let go of this, of this place. It had been my childhood home. I've, I've lived up north for most of my life now, but this place was still my home. A place on the lake in Florida and a place where I grew up where I learned to deal with alligators or not deal with them or whatever. And, and uh, there it was. It was just a, an iconic place in my life. And then she was gone. And then her place, which reflected her so beautifully. You could see you know, her love of gardening, just the, the beauty, beautiful place. It, it reflected her so much. And now... It's got bought by a stranger, and it's not ours anymore. Now, try to put yourself in the in the situation in the ancient Near East in the latter part of the first century. Um, you're a Jewish Christian, perhaps living somewhere, maybe up in modern day Turkey, someplace like this. You get this this letter. Things are going on in Jerusalem. There's there's an uprising happening. Uh, either it's the temple has been destroyed or not. But you are. Uh, the temple holds a very important place for you. And you know, in, in your mind, you've moved on. You've moved on to, uh, to Jesus being more important than that. You see the progression of how, you know, Judaism prepares us for Christ and for Jesus who has come. But in your heart, that place has so much meaning for you. If you were part of, if you were a recipient of this letter and you were part of that first church, if you had grown up either as a child or in, in the faith of that early church, the temple itself and the whole priestly system would have been very important to you. It was the center of your culture. The high priest was the biggest leader in, in your faith. The temple was an iconic place. It was a place where God meets humans. It had been that way for a millennia. This is who you are. 
This really kind of defines you in some very powerful ways. And you can imagine that early church meeting in the, in the temple, in the colonnades around for prayer every day. What a powerful thing that was. And seeing you know, the, the, the lame man healed right there in, uh, in this place. It, it was just a phenomenal place. Uh, all of your history, all of your scripture is centered around this. And all of a sudden, it's gone. Not only is it gone, most of the people in Jerusalem are gone. There's almost, uh, what happens after AD 70 is almost like a genocide. Um, many, just thousands upon thousands of people are killed. Thousands of people are taken into slavery. A lot of, some of those slaves ended up going to Rome and built, uh, and built the Colosseum there. Uh, and so everything has just been wiped out. And I have to say, I would feel really upset about that because somewhere deep in my heart, I probably always thought that, well, it's going to come back. The Lord's going to come back soon. It's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. That's, of course, not what we believe, but that was something that maybe they felt. And we know the difference between those, those two things. You know, you, you, you think one thing, but inside, oh, man, that can be a whole different category. And so this would be very unsettling. And so what do you want to do? You want to start a movement, you know, let's make Jerusalem great again or something like that. Uh, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could get it back? And so you, there's, a, there's a, a sense in which this is an important period in these people's lives. And they have a decision to make. And you've seen this going on before. Do we go back? Do we somehow embrace our old faith and have Jesus as dessert? Or do we go after him all the way? This is hard stuff. It's big stuff. Um, and, and there we are. It's a challenge in our culture today, isn't it? Especially for those of us who are believers. We, we know that this world we live in and this, this culture that we've lived in has really changed. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, our place in it has changed significantly. And we, know the, we know the numbers about the church. We know the number of nuns, that's N-O-N-E-S, <laughs> um, of people who just don't believe at all. Doug was telling me today that 50% of the millennials who went to church before the pandemic are not going to church now. It's frightening. We wonder what's lying ahead of us. We wonder what our place is going to be like in, in the future. And we kind of wish it would go back to the way it was because it just felt so good then when, you know, and we had a place at the table and now it doesn't, and in fact, in fact, there were times when it seemed the church was at the head of the table and kind of calling the shots, and now we're not there. Well, I just want that power back. I want that place back. I want it so that everybody's in church and everybody gets, you know, what we're talking about and everybody loves Jesus, and, every, or, and if they're not Christians, at least they think they should be. Remember that? And it's just not that way. And the challenge for us at this point is, do we believe uh, do we want to go back to the way it was, or do we believe that Jesus, our great high priest, is, is leading us forward into something else? I'm telling you, that's tough to, to think that way, because I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what the church is going to look like 50 years from now, but I do believe that the church will be here and it'll be thriving because Jesus promised us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Uh, that God is on the move. 
Sometimes I need to look down to the southern hemisphere where the church is exploding in growth where we may not be. But God is at work in us and through us. God has a plan for us. Now, I work in a, a this, like I said, in this retirement home, and it's been really fun in the last year to, to watch some of the things that God is doing. We've been praying for an awakening. I know there's some kind of movie about that Ron Howard made a few years ago. Um, but anyway, we've been praying for a spiritual awakening among us, and it's been interesting. We haven't had like this big, you know, revival blowout, but there are a couple things that are happening, uh, and it's so exciting. And this is what people, our average age at this place is about 81, but watching what God is doing in people's lives later on in their lives, there is a process that he's bringing people through. Uh, just this last year and a half or so, there was a, a man who came to me, uh, he's in assisted living, and he said to me, you know, Tom, I, I really, I'm not a religious guy, but I feel like I need it. But I just have trouble, I really have trouble believing in something that I can't see. I'm a scientist. People say that a lot. And I said, well, that's really interesting, you know. Um, and I've been praying about it, and finally I said, you know, I think I've got a book for you. So I lent him a copy, or gave him a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He read through it voraciously, he started reading it, and he's, he's reading it a second time now. But I remember the day when he came to me, 91-year-old guy, comes up to me and says, I've been reading it. There's no doubt in my mind. Jesus is God. And I was like, wow. Wow. And just to see his heart melt and, and wrestling through what it means. He's lived his whole life as an agnostic. And he's talking about, you know, my daughter really doesn't get it. And his daughter's like 70, you know, so... We, we raised her as an agnostic, and she doesn't really get what's going on with me. But he's there, and he's studying, and he's learning. It's, it's so exciting. Another woman came to me one day after church, and I don't know what was up, except that the Holy Spirit was working on her. I'm really sure of this. She comes to me and says, I just want you to know I'm around. I don't come to worship service, but I, I'm really not against what you're doing. I just, you know, we have a service at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, I, I, I want you to know that I'm not against you. I just don't believe anymore. And so again, I, I, again C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity is kind of like my go-to book. And so I got her to read this. She got fascinated with this. And uh, so now she's back in Bible study and growing in her faith again after probably 40 years of nothing. And I'm thinking, you know what? God is on the move and God is the one who has promised to to hold on to us and keep us moving through this process. God is at work in us. God is at work in you. And I believe that when it comes right down to it, this is the hope that the author of, of Hebrews is talking about, the hope of maturity, the hope of us realizing all of the promises of God, the hope of us coming to full maturity, the hope of us seeing Christ in in and uh, receiving his fullness in our lives. God is at work in us. He's at work in you. Paul says, I'm convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's so many, there's so many scriptures like that. Um, and it's based on, and, and this hope that uh, is built on two things, and he says this in verses 17, in verses 17 and 18, if you're following along. He says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, 
He confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. What are those two things? Number one, his character. God's character himself. And secondly, God's word. This is the underpinning of our hope. And then he goes on to say that this hope is, uh, uh, this hope is like an anchor. Uh, and uh, this little print Bible, I need to get a bigger print Bible. I'm getting old, man. This is not good. All right. And uh, he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And in times in, the times in which we live, we need an anchor. And the hope of God's transformational work in our lives is, I believe, that anchor. That no matter what comes our way, we won't just make it through. That God will transform our lives into realizing all that God has done for us and all that God has done in us. Uh, to become those people that God planned for us to be from the very beginning to, to grasp a hold of his promises, to see his faithfulness in, in his completion. He goes on to talk about the, uh, the story of Moses, which I think is, is rather, uh, not Moses, excuse me, of Abraham, talking about this story of Abraham and his whole process. Uh, I find it really interesting that he says um, how, he talks about how Abraham uh, just waited patiently for God to come through on his promise to give him an heir. Um, and he did, you know, and, and it, was, it took a long time. Um, he was promised around 70 that he would have an heir. You know, he, he and Sarah were, were childless. And in those days, having a child was, you know, that was your future. And he didn't have his own child, so they thought they didn't have one. And so God promises, look, your, your children will be, like the, will be like the stars in the heavens, like the sands of the seashore. You're just, they're, they're going to be so many. And he waited and waited. What's interesting to me is that, that yeah, he waited patiently, eventually. Um, there was a time when Abraham did not wait patiently for God. He kind of decided he would break the process and go outside of the normal process. And so, Sarah, it's just an ugly story. It's just a sad story. It's a redemptive story because we see how God blessed uh, um, Hagar and their son Ishmael. But, but anyway, um, God, Abraham got out of the process and it caused all sorts of mayhem and it was really kind of a personal family tragedy. But God intervened again. God intervenes and Sarah actually gets pregnant. They have their son Isaac. Um, and so eventually, yeah, um, it, which points me to the fact and I think this is where the writer of Hebrews is getting at. God is more committed to your maturity than you are. God is the one who's going to make this thing happen in you. Um, yeah, you want to co cooperate and all that. When it comes right down to it, it's God's promise. And God has promised, puts his whole, his whole self on the line, his own reputation on the line saying that I will bring what I, be, I will take what has begun in you and I will nurture it until it's completed in Christ. That's pretty big stuff. What that does to us, <laughs> being reminded that it's God's promise that actually does that for us is pretty humbling. 
Because what that means is really not up to us. It's really not something we are capable of doing, but something that God has promised that he will do. And so I wonder today, you know, where you are. Do you believe that? Do you believe, and is it your hope, that you will realize the fullness of God's promise in your life? Do you believe that, that this day and the trials that you're going through and the trials that you will go through for a long period of time will eventually bring about the fullness of God's promises, the realization of God's promises to you to free you from the brokenness of sin, to heal you, to remake you in the image of Christ, to use you for his purpose so that one day when you stand before him, you will be completely free of sin. You'll be completely free of, and, and you'll have grown through the brokenness that you've experienced in your life, that, that God is going to take this lousy stuff that's happened to you and mold you through it into the person that he plans for you to be, into a person that, that gives him pleasure and through which he works to bless others. Do you believe that? I uh, heard a professor, a seminary professor one time, tell this story. What, what is it that, this, uh, that God's got us doing? He says, you know, spiritual growth or maturity is kind of like being on an escalator. And for those of us who are believers who have the Holy Spirit in our lives, it, it's like that. We just keep moving up. There's a powerful thing that's moving us up toward what God wants us to be. And resisting it is kind of like walk, trying to walk down the up escalator. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's frustrating. It's kind of dangerous, and you can kind of fall off. Uh, and, but nevertheless, that escalator just keeps going up. Um, I can see that in my life, but it's over the long term. God, it just keeps calling me upward. Paul writes in the, chapter, in the third chapter of Philippians, I, you know, I'm um, laying what, what's the past behind and moving on toward what's ahead. I press on toward the mark for the upward, toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is trusting that God can do this. He's also cooperating with the process. Stop trying to walk down the elevator. I'm <laughs> also thinking about, uh, again, about Abraham. What did this mean? You know, God has this promise. He's going to give him a son. He's going to start this whole new movement that, eventually will, that will lead us eventually to Christ. Um, and he's doing this through, through Abraham. Uh, there was some hard work, even though God is the one who makes the promise come in its fullness there's some hard work on his part. Um, and part of this was raising up Isaac. And, you know, again, in that culture, it was all about having kids. And, in fact, and Abraham got the idea that, that Isaac was really the promise. And the promise wasn't Isaac. It was God himself was intervening and relating to him. And so God puts him through this really horrific test of, uh, releasing, uh, of releasing Isaac to him. And, and the way that he framed it was, I want you to go and offer up your son Isaac as a sacrifice. 
Um, that's a tough one to hear, especially for those of us who've had who've lost children along the way. Uh, nevertheless, uh, this is what he does. And I think part of this was, for, was God trying to show Abram what he was like. It was very, child sacrifice was a common thing in that day, believe it or not. Um, and God eventually shows Abraham that God doesn't require that. Somewhere deep down in, in Abraham's heart, he probably thought, you know, God might ask me to do something like this. And so in one minute, in, in one event, God uh, uh, both tests Abraham's faith and also disabuses him of the idea that he wants to make a sacrifice, that he requires child sacrifice. It was a, it was a life-changing moment, moment for him. But the bottom line was he had to surrender. And I guess the, the question I have today is we look at this kind of hope, are you and am I willing to, sub, to surrender to the process of God transforming us. I mean, okay, God, you say that you want to fulfill all your promises in me. Um, I'm game. Are we willing to surrender to him, to that process? See, I, I have other ideas about what I think my life should be like sometimes than, than what God has. I don't know about you, but yeah, of course we do. <laughs> of course we do. Um, but God, I'm willing to go for the long haul. I'm willing to anchor myself in this hope in Christ. And I'm willing to go through this wherever I am in my life. I'm willing to surrender it to you. You know, at the end here, it talks about Jesus. It talks about Jesus being a high priest forever. What does the priest do? Well, the priest is the one who connects us with God. He speaks to God for the people and speak, uh, he speaks for God, uh, for God to the people and he speaks to God for the people. Did I say that right? I, th I think I might have. But anyway, he's the go-between. There you go. Um, he talks about Jesus as the high priest. It's the one who went behind the veil in the temple, the thing that the high priest does to make atonement for the people's sins. And Jesus, it says here, is a high priest forever that Jesus is constantly making intercession for us. He's pointing out that, you know, their sins are paid for. I'm moving them forward. Um, Abraham needed some redemption here after he kind of messed up with, uh, with Hagar and Ishmael. Um, maybe you've messed up in your process in your process of growth. Maybe you have walked down the elevator and tripped, or the escalator and tripped on the way down. And maybe you kind of said, you know what, God, I'm going to take, take the reins for a while. You know, we'll do your stuff later. And you're realizing that today. And, uh, and God just wants to say to you, don't go back. Don't go back to what your life used to be like. Surrender to me now. Follow me now. Let me have my perfect work in you. You know, I love this passage. Uh, Romans 8, 28, you know it. Everybody knows that one, I think, right? Well, a lot of us do. Uh, for we know that in all things God works together for good to those who love him, 
Next part. To those called according to his purpose. Now, are you called according to his purpose? Yes. God has called you to live into what Christ has done for you. And then there's this next verse, which some of us in our tradition, well, I, I struggle with it, but for those whom he foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And what he's saying to us believers is, no matter whether you know it, it's, it's a completely sure thing, well, here it is, that your destiny, my destiny is to become like Jesus. John writes in uh, 1 John 3, he says, he says uh, you know, that one day we will see him and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And then it goes on in, in, chapter, in uh, John, 1 John 3, 3, uh, those, of us who have, those of us who have this hope purify themselves even as he is pure. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope today that God is going to take you through what you're going through? God is going to take the stuff that's happening to you and mold you into what his plan is for you. Do you have that hope today? Surrender to it. Keep moving forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this, this sweet body of people. God, thank you for the assurance of your promise that you have staked everything on restoring us into your image. Lord, you've given us your precious promises. You continually act as a priest for us where we can come to you and, Lord, receive your forgiveness and healing and restoration. Lord, you give us your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to surrender to your process. Lord, like, like Abraham, help us not just to be turned away by our mistakes and our sins, but to keep moving forward. Lord, help us not to get stuck in this stuff about, boy, I wish that we had the power that we did back in the 50s when everything was great. You know, back then... Black people weren't allowed to drink out of white people's fountains, water fountains. I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> Lord, help us not to want to go back to some dream time, but help us to set our minds on Jesus and keep moving forward into your fullness. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.